Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Andrea Kelly, founder and CEO of Make Plus Equal, talks with students about her experience as a product manager and merchandiser working for companies like Columbia Sportswear and Nike. I'm really excited to be here and uh, I'll give you a thank you for the introduction. I'll probably pepper in a few more things, but um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you're all together because I come both from a development and a merchandising product line management experience. So um, so I wanted to talk to you today about the road to excellence. Um, when Chase approached me, he wanted me to spend time talking about the characteristics or signs of what makes a good PLM. Um, I tend to have a weird punny sense of humor, so I took the signs idea and sort of ran with it. So humor me. Um, uh, but so we'll be taking that path. And I just want to talk about um, some of the characteristics that make for a great product line manager um, and things that will help you stand out to current and future employers as you work through your career. Um, so Chase, give me a lovely introduction. Um, are we advancing? We're not. There we go. Um, so as you mentioned, I am the founder of Make Plus Equal. Uh, that's the present day. I'm going to back up just a little bit. I've actually been in the apparel industry for almost a quarter of a century, which makes me feel ancient. Um, but the beauty of that is that I've been around a while. I've seen a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. Um, and as he mentioned, I've worked for Nike. I've worked for DC Shoes. I've worked for Columbia Sportswear. Um, the first 15 years of which was product development, starting at Nike, moved back down to Southern California, did development there on all of their outerwear, came back up at Columbia and did outerwear uh, development for the first three years at Columbia Sportswear. Um, I've worked on all sorts of soft goods, outerwear, sportswear, accessories, you name it, I've done it. And then um, after about 15 years of development, I decided to switch it up and move into product line management and merchandising. And I know that those terms mean different things. At Columbia, they were sort of all one and the same. So as we go through this, you may hear me refer to either of those. Um, worked on product line management for outerwear, flip-flop between women's or men's, whatever they needed, and then ended up finding my niche within the company, focusing on inclusive sizes, which then rolled into this DMM position of inclusive sizes, which then rolled into me 
leaving the corporate world to start a consultancy to help more brands become more size inclusive. Um, you can find all that stuff out on LinkedIn. You can find all that on my website if you want to check that out. But it just sort of gives you a, a path of like a, an idea of the path that I took to get here. Um, and what you will find, and as we will discuss, is that path was not a straight line. So that's that's a key takeaway from all of this. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, with that, I'm going to jump in and talk about what it really takes to make a great product line manager, um, how you can stand out, how you can build teams that um, have an end result that benefits not only your career, but the brand and the product that you're making too. Um, and we're going to cover five different topics. And again, stay with me on the traffic signs. Um, <laughs> but these are the topics that we're going to touch on. So talking about guardrails or you know knowing the rules so you know how to break them, left turns, detours, and side quests, um, which are opportunities for learning, uh, the flow of traffic, how to keep things within your team, um, setting the climate, so reading the room, and, and mitigating the temperature of personalities and attitudes and ideas. And then last but not least, we'll call it self-care, but emergency preparedness of, of how you can find support in your role as you continue to move through your career. So we're going to start off with guardrails, um, guardrails being the rules, the processes. Um, every company has rules and processes set in place for a particular reason. They want to keep everybody on track. We want to get to the same ending point. We have goals that we want to tackle, and they build in structure to make that happen. Don't tell your future employers I'm telling you this, but sometimes you can bump up against the guardrails. It's really important to know where the guardrails are. So you know when you need to stay in your lane and when you can sort of bump up against them and bend the rules a little bit. Um, that comes with time and it comes with experience uh, and it comes with a broader sense of understanding strategy, whether it's the strategy of your line, the strategy of a digital product, the strategy of a division or department and so on. The combination of knowing where the lines are set and where the rules are plus understanding the bigger picture will help you get better at making decisions on how to manage your product. I'll give you an example of it. So um, we typically get from management uh, a target margin for the product we're building. It may be on a collection. It might be on all of outerwear. It could be an entire line. It doesn't, it, 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 you know, you're going to have it set for whatever part of the product you're working on. Let's say hypothetically, it's a 52% margin. God, I wish Ryan were 52. They were always much higher. But the more experienced I got in the role that I was in, I realized very quickly, not every single style was going to hit a 52. It's not that black and white. It's not that clean and easy. It's obviously going to be an average. So there's your guardrail. It's a 52% margin. But you know, some products are going to weigh more heavily on your bottom line than others. If you have a product that sells 100,000 units year after year after year, that thing better hit a 52 because that's what's really going to move the needle, right? You're heavy hitters. You want to be sure you stay right in your lane, if not performing better. On the other hand, if you're working on something experimental, a new idea, pretty convinced it's going to come out small. It's just sort of a, a test run this year to see how it goes. You probably have a little wiggle room there, which is helpful because oftentimes on some of those newer, riskier products, Maybe you don't know what the fabric's going to be, so how do you know what the price is, which makes it really difficult to figure out how the rest of the product is going to roll out. So by understanding the role that your products have as they sit in your line, here's my heavy hitters that move the needles, here are the risky ones that are maybe really not going to do a lot for me yet, you can decide 
where you need to hit your margins. So they actually balance out. So your line as a whole ends up at your 52%. It's hard to do unless you know the bigger picture. So what that means is communicating with leadership, understanding what their goals are, understanding what their marketing strategy is, understanding what products they're going to fund to make sure that you are focusing clearly on the products they want to succeed. In that last example, I said that new little idea that might be risky and very small may actually be the one they're funding and putting a ton of money behind. So if it actually succeeds the first season and you came in at a 46 and you carry it over, then you're stuck with the 46. So it's really important to understand the bigger picture from a strategy point of view. What are these products supposed to do in my line and how are they going to add up when it comes to the final financial bottom line? So by knowing what your guardrails are, by understanding the bigger picture, it helps you manage your workload a little bit better because you know really where to invest your time and efforts in. Um, and it'll end up getting you in a better place as far as decision-making goes. So there's there's guardrails. Uh, the next section we're going to talk about is left turns, detours, and side quests, which is my favorite topic because that is basically the trajectory of my career. <laughs> Um, so unlike you who have the opportunity to go to these classes and work your way and get prepared for this career and try things out and do things, I don't even know if those classes existed when I was in college. And when I was in college, I didn't have any idea what I was going to be when I grew up. I left college with a psychology degree and I worked for a software company. I didn't even start in apparel. I don't have a design degree. This was never on my career path, but um, I had moved through software, ended up being fascinated by systems training because I'm a nerdy person with social skills, so it sort of worked out really well, um, and worked for a bunch of companies, learning their tools and then training their staff on how to use their proprietary software. One of those companies happened to be Nike, and that's how I got into apparel, totally through the side door. Never would have seen it coming. Um, I spent about a year and a half doing training for Nike. Um, and then as a person who loves the outdoors, being here in Portland, being super active in rafting and hiking and mountain climbing and kayaking, I was dying to get involved with um, ACG, who was working on technical outdoor gear at the time. Um, so from a psychology degree, software brain, ended up becoming a product developer. And what's interesting is when I applied for the job, obviously, I, I wasn't sure that I was even qualified. I didn't go through all these classes you did. And what the hiring manager said to me was, you know our tools, you understand our business and how the departments work. I can teach you how to make a jacket. So by having a completely different experience, I brought value to the team that didn't actually exist with other developers. We had developers from competing companies that we had hired in who all know how to be great developers, but didn't really know the systems very well and didn't really know how Nike functioned as a corporation. I had that education and that background by having a completely different role. So this goes back to my story of it's never a straight line. I, I shouldn't say never. It is highly unlikely that it's going to be a straight line. My point is, I think that's actually great. Because by taking detours and left turns and side quests, you actually build more skills that you can contribute to the team that um, make you different than any of your competition. You bring a uniqueness to your organization um, that only makes them richer. Um, I have another example too. Um, 
uh, as a developer, as a merchandising manager, I had a guy who was working for me. He was fairly new. He'd been a PLM entry level, maybe two or three years. And, and he was starting to get frustrated because he wasn't getting promoted. He was talented. He was definitely qualified for it. There just wasn't any mobility in the apartment. So there wasn't really anywhere for him to move up to. And I knew he was feeling stagnant and getting frustrated. And a position actually opened up as a merchandiser for our e-com team. And I said, why, why don't you go do that? And he said, why, why would I do that? I don't want to be there. I want to be here. And I said, go take that job. Go meet some people. Go network. Go learn some new skills. Go understand a different part of the business. And then come back and say, how you like me now? It just makes you so much more promotable to have other knowledge that you can contribute to the team. And, and that was the case when I joined merchandising. Even when I moved from development to merchandising, I had a whole lot of imposter syndrome changing lanes after 15 years. But I brought something unique to my team because the merchandisers I worked with came up the way you guys are through the system and learning all your tools. I didn't have that. And I was really intimidated working with all of these people who had been merchandisers for years. But if anybody could build a brief, it's the girl who's been a product developer for 15 years. I can build the cost. I know what it takes to, I know how to hit the margin. I know what it's going to cost from the factories. So there's always so much value in having external experiences that contribute to your new experiences. So I highly encourage you to take opportunities. I'm not telling you to like, just take a hard left, but if there's an opportunity to try something that interests you, by all means, don't say no. If you're getting frustrated, take a left turn. You'll always benefit from taking a risk or doing something different. Whether you succeed or fail, you're going to learn something and it's going to make your knowledge richer. And honestly, I believe that these left turns and detours and side quests, that's where confidence actually comes from. It comes with trying new things and having new experiences and being able to look back and say, oh yeah, I gave that a go. Here's what I took away from it. Here's what I have to offer now. Um, one more thing on side quests. Side quests is actually what got me to where I am today. So I started as a product line manager and merchandiser in 2015, um, plus size person myself, super frustrated that I couldn't find what I needed and was wearing mostly men's clothes. And then in 2015, NPD published the stats of plus size people making up the majority of the population and a huge light bulb went off in my head like, uh, oh, Oh, it's not just me. Oh, there's a huge vacuum. There's a hole in the market. I know I'm a product line manager on men's outerwear, but I really care about inclusive sizing. Fortunately, Columbia already had an inclusive sizes program in place. Kind of. It was there. Nobody was really paying attention to it. And I raised my hand and made a case for actually building out more product and growing the business and, and catering to a larger majority of our consumers. That was a side total side quest. And they were like, that sounds great. We think you should do it. We fully agree. Um, on top of your current job, no headcount, no promotion, rock on, stretch goal, go for it. And because I was passionate, I completely went for it. It didn't take away from the role that I was already serving. It actually helped me even more. But that side quest that was an interest to me, my passion project, eventually became my full-time job at Columbia and then evolved into me starting my own business. So what I'm telling you is keep your eyes open for the left turns. Don't be afraid to take a side quest. If there's something that fascinates you, chase it. You never know what's going to happen. And you're only going to be more marketable in doing so. All right. There's my rant for 
left turns, detours, and side quests. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a roadside attraction here, and I'm actually going to ask you guys to weigh in in the chat. I don't even know if I can see the chat from my screen. So um, let me see if I can figure out how to do that. Hmm. Anyway, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Um, there's the chat box. Here we go. Um, so this is going to date me a little bit. I already told you guys that I've been in this industry for almost a quarter of a century. The other thing that has been around that long is Project Runway. <laughs> I want to know, you young kids, how many of you have actually seen Project Runway before, if any of you have watched it before? And you can just drop an icon or a raise your hand or whatever you want in the chat. Just curious to get some temperature. Awesome. Okay, so I'm not talking to myself. That's great. Obsessed. All right. So for those of you who have, I'm also really curious to know either who your favorite designer was or um, what your favorite season was. And I will tell you, I haven't watched it in a while, but my all-time favorite season was season two. If you haven't watched it from the beginning, you have to. Uh, Daniel Vosevic, uh, uh, Santino Rice, who went on to judge on RuPaul's Drag Race is on there. There was drama. There was laughs. Uh, oh, yep. I see. Aaron Robertson. Tim Gunn is a god. And Tim Gunn actually spoke out about size inclusion. So he's my superhero for sure. All right. So now that we've got that covered, last question for the chat, and then we might even go live. How many of you have seen a team challenge on Project Runway? I know that Chase was talking about sending you guys as teams. Yep. 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 Okay. So I'm going to give you homework. You need to go find a team challenge on Project Runway. I don't know if Chase told you I was going to give you homework. I think I just decided that in the moment. Um, all right. So for those of you who have seen a team challenge on Project One Way, if you had one takeaway from that episode, what was it? Be a team player, but stand your ground. That's, that's, that's pretty much where I was going, Kate. Team player is where I was getting at. Yes. Not a way to combine your visions and styles into something cohesive. That's why they call it a challenge. And that's why they pay you to do it at work because it is in fact a challenge, right? All right. Thank you guys for chiming in. It's nice to, to actually have some conversations and get you guys engaged with this. Um, this little roadside attraction really moves into a section about um, relationships with the folks that you work with. So uh, I'm going to move on to the next slide and we're going to talk about a couple different aspects here. Um, so flow of traffic, how things move, how you all work together, how you anticipate what your teammates are going to do and how you react and respond to that. Um, one of the most beneficial things that you can do in a cross-functional team is build a team that works well together. And the best way to do that is to trust the people that you work with. It's hard. You don't know where they came from. You don't know their background. You may or may not know what their experiences have been. Um, but by allowing the folks that you work with to bring their skills to the table creates a trust that can't really be formed any other way. Um, I talked a lot about being a product developer. And as I moved into product management, it was kind of hard for me to sort of keep my mouth shut and not tell the developers what to do because I knew exactly how I would have done it. Well, you know, in my day, we used to, or I'd recommend you set up the bomb like this. Not my job. 
And I don't mean not my job, like I can't be bothered with it, but literally not my job. There's somebody else who has tasks that they need to tend to and contribute to. I've got other fish to fry. Also important because had I given my product developer direction, not even be relevant anymore. They may not even operate that way anymore. They may not be how their manager wants to function. And by me stepping on their toes, they don't actually have a chance to contribute with things that I may not have come up and come up with. You need to let your teammates shine. You're a team and you all contribute. Uh, the whole is greater than some of its parts. That's the expression that I'm looking for. So by allowing them to bring their ideas and solutions to the table, it takes away ego, which makes for a much better team. It allows people to feel more comfortable. It allows people to build better collaborative skills, to take risks because they're not watching their back constantly. They know that they have a team that is all working together towards the end goal. I'm going to dial back to the Project Runway thing because the punchline of all of that was, for those of you who haven't seen a team challenge, you could had you not watched the entire episode and turned it on at the runway, you could tell who the team was that didn't get along. The line looked terrible. The product looked awful. You could tell they fought. You could tell they didn't agree. You could tell there was tension and you could just tell by looking at the product. And the first time that came to me was uh, my first my first sales meeting. We had just presented the men's outerwear line and the sales team was delighted. It was the best line ever, which they said every year, which was great. And I told them, I said, the reason the line looks so good is we like working together. We value each other. We value what each brings to the table. We give and take. We collaborate. We make room for each other to succeed. We let each other try things without pointing fingers. We work together as a team, and it actually shows up in the product. It's so important to build those relationships. Um, I think from a perspective of design, we have a lot of folks that move from design into product line management, and that's an easier trigger, an even trickier one to stay in your line because product line managers have a vision. Designers have a vision. Like you see it. You see what the product is. So to be that person in a product line management role and let the designer actually bring their vision to your line, it's hard to do, but it's super, super important. You have to give them the opportunity to shine, to problem solve, and to bring their vision to life for the line that you're building. Um, now, one of you said in the chat, cooperate, but also stand your ground. I am by no means saying roll over and let them do what they want to do. They don't report to you in most cases, but you're a team, but you absolutely have to stand your ground, but you have to do it in a way that still creates that trust and respect. Um, we built at one point um, an ankle length puffy jacket, two-way zipper, full length, huge zipper, and the designer sketch had kissing welts on it. I think you all know what kissing welts are, right? They overlap your zipper. I personally hate kissing welts. Slider gets stuck on them all the time. And the thought of a 50-inch zipper with kissing welts all the way down, I was like, oh, it's, ugh, it's a terrible idea. But I couldn't let my person personal opinion get in the way. It had to be a business case that I allowed them to solve. So my feedback to them was, I have concerns about returns on this garment. I think there's going to be some challenges in the functionality of the zipper with a kissing welt that long. Can you go back to the drawing board and find a better solution for the center front closure? I didn't tell them how to sketch it. I didn't tell them what to do. I just said, this isn't going to work for this business reason. Stood my ground, but left them the opportunity to solve the problem the way they saw fit. 
by creating this healthy team environment, again, you're building a better place for collaboration. You're setting it up to actually enjoy coming into work today or every day with the people that you work with. You're seen as a team player and you're going to end up being somebody that people want to work with down the road. And I mean, not to gloat, but um, so many of my uh, reviews that I got from other teammates was like, I love that Andrea gives us space to try our things. She respects my work. And who doesn't want to work with people like that? So, so setting up that relationship and building that environment of trust and taking ego out of it will ultimately ba- make better product, make your day at work better, um, and help you further along in your career as you are seen as somebody that you want to work with. All right, let's move on to the climate. Uh, Climate change is real, folks. Uh, This is more about um, emotional intelligence and um, sort of setting the tone for your team. Um, It varies from organization to organization what um, the hierarchy is as far as management goes. I know in some teams, uh, development reports up into merchandising. I know in some teams it reports up into design. As a product line manager, in my experience, I always saw it as I was the person who managed the product, not the teams. Development team had their own managers. Design teams had their own managers. But that is not to say that as product line managers, we don't have a role of influence with that team. We are the hub of all of the product creation process. Anything that happens and any decisions that get made come through product line management. So for that reason, it's up to you to mitigate the energy and the temperature and the climate of what's happening within your team. You're the one who has to keep your cool. You're the one who gets to be the tiebreaker. Um, you might be the one who needs to diffuse situations. So again, they may not report to you, but all in all, if you want this to be a successful product line, you need a successful product team to build that. It's up for you. It's up to you to read the room. So taking a look at where conflicts may be and helping to direct the team. Maybe this needs to be taken offline. Maybe this group needs to come back with some other options. That's a role that you're going to have to get really, really strong in and keep your cool while doing it. Which then takes me to the next slide of how do you self-regulate yourself? Uh, So anybody who's a parent knows you can't do it by yourself. Anybody who has a job knows you can't do it by yourself. We all need backup and we all need support. So not only do we need to work on the relationships internally with our team, but we need to be sure that outside of that team, we have resources and relationships of people that we trust and that we can go to, to have a sounding board, to fill our cup, to give us different perspectives. Um, Hopefully it's your manager you have a really good relationship with. If it's not, that's fine. Sometimes it's actually better if it's not your manager. Um, I would recommend, if possible, to find connections throughout the company. So um, I was really fortunate in that the director that I worked for in outerwear at Columbia, he and I had worked together for years. We, we communicated very well. He was also French, so he was very laissez-faire about everything, which made it really easy to go to him when I was amped up a little bit and he could kind of cool my jets a little bit. Um, but by having a relationship where you can be frank with somebody, get your frustrations out, but not just vent, but also ask for more information is going to be super beneficial to helping you then go back into your team settings and be the stable person in the middle of your ground. Um, I would, I wouldn't say quite often, a number of times I would find myself going into my manager's office 
shutting the door and saying, this XYZ is pissing me off. This doesn't make sense to me. This da, 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 and this is annoying me. But also, what am I missing? Tell me a different way to look at it. What am I not seeing? And he was great. He would validate, yep, your point A, I, I'm totally on board with you. It's super annoying. We have to blah, blah. B, I don't agree with that. And here's why. Look at this. Here's the perspective. This is why leadership made that decision. Change my outlook. So having somebody who can regulate where you're coming from, but also give you different perspectives to see things differently is going to be super beneficial um, in how you move forward in your role as a leader, setting the tone for others, as well as making your own decisions. Uh, like I said, I think it's great if it happens to be your manager. That's awesome. Um, I also had a really good relationship with the director of our sports tour team. So it was a little bit different than my day-to-day -day work, but she at least knew the minutiae and the routine and the calendar that I was up against. And then even having somebody, you know, an executive who happens to be in marketing, just a completely different perspective. I think the more you can build relationships outside of your team, the stronger you will be at managing the relationships inside your team. So it's important to build yourself an emergency preparedness kit of resources of people that you have to go to for um, reality check and for different perspectives on things. So we're getting towards our exit. Um, just a quick recap on, on the topics that we've covered, and then we can move into some time for questions. So guardrails, you have to know the rules before you know how to break them. Um, and again, that really relies on not only knowing where the rules are, but understanding the strategies involved to help you make better decisions. Detours and detours, left turns and, and uh, side quests, I think I said, there is so much benefit in taking the road less traveled. You are only going to learn more about your career, your content, yourself. And by taking these little detours and pulling in new information, you're only going to add value, not only to you and the product, but your career path down the road. Um, flow of traffic, again, this is where we get all into relationships. So building um, trust and respect with the people that you work with, allowing them to flourish, uh, and and um, but standing up when you need to in a, a professional way that still allows them the responsibility to own their role is critical. It'll help you build better product. It'll help you build better relationships. And you'll be seen as somebody that people want to work with over and over again. Um, setting the tone for emotional regulation and intelligence, even though these folks may not report directly to you, you definitely have influence on them. And as the leader of the product line, it's up to you to set the tone and make sure things are, I didn't even have anything about greasing the wheels in the wheels so everything runs smoothly. Ha-ha, there it is. Um, and then last but not least, emergency preparedness. Make sure that you also have your own resources to keep your own emotional regulation and intelligence in place, um, to validate frustrations, to have somebody to bounce things off of, and to have different perspectives to contribute to the knowledge that you bring to your team. Um, question here. You mentioned building trust with your team. What are some ways that you can build trust or you can build that trust? Maybe some experiences from the past, recommendations. Yeah, I, I really do think it's about, um, I think oftentimes folks will come to the product line manager as the decision maker. 
And in some cases, yes, that's your role, but more often than not, it's really, really important that you rely on your cross-functional teams to bring the solutions that are needed. So in some senses, it's actually challenging and pushing back. Um, and even, even saying, I trust you, this is your position. Like, I'm going to leave it up to you to determine for me, designer, what the pro- what the fabric is you think that you need for this. You know what the target range is. I, I, I trust you. Like, even saying, I trust you. But but not automatically taking ownership of all decisions and understanding that the ownership that we each contribute builds into the product that we're trying to build. Um, it, it really is allowing people to, I know I'm trying to give you another example. I talked about the, the kissing welt situation, um, the bill of material thing, you know, I, I could have easily said I'd set it up this way, but I didn't do that. I, I just sort of stayed in my lane. Um, it really, I'm being really vague because I'm trying to think of other examples off the top, but it really truly is about letting the teammates that you work with bring their skills to the table, trusting them. Um, great. A couple other questions here. What has been the biggest risk you think you've taken in your career, which had significant impact? Well, that would be in May when I gave notice to Columbia Sportswear <laughs> and I decided to leave the corporate world and start a small business. <laughs> I think prior to that, uh, the biggest risk I took, so this man, my laissez-faire manager who I loved, um, I actually walked into his office one day and shut the door. This is when I was working on men's outerwear and they hadn't really decided if I was working on extended size, inclusive sizes or not. And sometimes they wanted me to, and sometimes they didn't. And I think at that point they had left it up to each product line manager to run their own inclusive sizes program, which I had opinions about it being run by multiple people. Um, But in that case, that meant that I was merchandising and managing the men's outerwear product line and managing men's outerwear inclusive sizes. And obviously I care about women's product. And I went into my manager's door office and I shut the door and I said, I am bored making men's outerwear. I am tired of making $80 jackets. I can do it with my eyes closed. I want to work on women's inclusive sizes. And he said, okay, I think about it. And I walked out and I shut the door and I said, what the hell did I just do? Did I, did I just tell my boss I was bored? I did. It was super risky, but I trusted him because we had an excellent relationship. And I knew if he had my back, he'd make something happen, which he did. He actually reassigned people. And if he couldn't do it, he would tell me he couldn't do it. It wasn't, it really wasn't going to move the needle or change anything drastically. He wasn't going to fire me. He was great at my job, but I took the risk and asked, and you never get what you don't ask for right? Had I not done that, that was, that was in 2016, maybe. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So it's, it's scary. It's scary. But if you never take the risk, you never get the chance to succeed, right? You, then you miss out on things. I still get chills talking about it because I was like, did I? Did I really just tell my boss? I, I really did. But again, there was a level of trust there. Uh, I had a great record. I was in a position where I could truly stand up and fight for what I believed in. If anyone wants to verbally ask their questions, just raise your hand in the chat too, so that I can I can know um, that you're there. Yeah, I'm going to let you um, manage all of that stuff. I can do that. Um, what skills would you recommend an aspiring PLM highlight on their resume or in a job interview? Are there any like tangible like 
things that help stand out? We've talked a lot about soft skills, but... Yeah, so soft skills for sure. I would talk a lot about that, but everybody likes to see dollars in bottom line. I mean, definitely talk about revenue increases that you've done. It's interesting. It's a it's a generational thing where like our generation, sorry, not our generation. I'm older than all of you. Your generation, my generation, even up into Gen X a little bit, but soft skills are really important. But also, if we're honest, the executives at higher levels are still maybe even a generation up and they're still looking at numbers. So if you can speak to the, the margins that you earned when you were working on the product or what percentage you increased the revenue, that is always going to stand out. I think it's really important, though, to balance that with soft skills because you don't know who's looking at your resume. You don't know what generation from they're from, and all of those things are valid. So you can talk about managing a team of so many people. Um, you can talk about um, engagements or offsites that you all contributed in that worked on team building and trust. I would pepper in both hard facts as well as soft skills on your resume. I would definitely talk about some of the projects that you'd worked on and same sort of thing. I mean, talk about the size of the product line that you built. If it's an actual product line, like how many pieces were you managing? How big was the team? Um, talk about some of the constraints or targets that you had to work on that project and whether you achieved them or not. Um, so show that you are actually great at achieving the goals that are set for you by others, as well as some of the goals that maybe were set by yourself or by the team too. Um, the question about imposter syndrome, um, uh -huh. getting jobs weren't necessarily qualified for, um, or in your mind qualified for, how do you overcome imposter syndrome? So it, it's interesting because when I transitioned for, it's a, I don't know, uh, we got a couple of minutes. Um, when I transitioned from development to merchandising, I reached out to somebody that I had worked for at night. He has been in the industry forever. He's a career coach now. Um, and he was sort of the, the guru on the mountain. Like you could ask him, I don't understand this process. I'm having a challenge with this teammate. Like you could go to the sky for anything. And he ended up consulting at Columbia. So I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm thinking about, um, and I should say, when I reported to him, is when I was in training at Columbia. So it was my first entry job. I worked in product ops. So years later, I went to him and I said, I think I'm thinking about moving over into merchandising. And he said, people don't do that. Like, it's a, like you stay in your lane. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, I, I've done that. Like, I moved from training to product and I did it while I worked for you. Like, you watched me do it. If I don't think there's a wall, there's no wall. And he was like, Okay. Yeah, you're right. Like sometimes we're our own boundaries into what's possible. Um, but after that sort of revelation, the conversation then became all about transferable skills. What have I done already that's not tied to this that can be beneficial to this team? So I talked a lot about my strength in writing product briefs. I know a garment literally inside out. I can tell you what it takes to hit a 52. I can tell you what your problems are going to be. And that was a value that I could bring to the team, um, I think. And there's another question here I saw, and I'm going to tie it into it. Somebody was asking about coming from not having a background design, uh, design background. How did I even get into Nike? What were those skills? And honestly, the things that helped me get into apparel or helped me get into merchandising had to do with networks and connections and investigation. I mean, one of the best things that that happened to me being a trainer at Nike, I got to train every single department. I talked to the running people. I talked to the ACG people. I trained the golf people. And I trained product line managers on how to build systems in Nike software or how to build their line plans. I worked with um, development teams to build, build materials. So I got so much exposure 
to so much more of the business. And if there is a way that you can do that, even if it's through informational interviews, talk to people who are in different zones and get a broader sense of how the business operates. Those are the things that give you more confidence, help you get over your imposter syndrome, and give you a lot of context to get a lot of entry into positions that you may not think you're qualified for. Great. Ben is raising his hand. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I saw a question between... Can you hear me? Yeah, and I can see you. Hi, Ben. Oh, hello. Um, so like when you're managing a team, I guess I feel like there's this, this balance between providing your team with like, stability versus like independence. And yeah. how do you kind of... Well, where do you draw that line? Where do you balance it? Where like people aren't just being complacent and following the checklist. They're still going out, but they still feel like you're supporting them, I guess. That's a skill, Ben. That comes with time. So that falls under the whole like climate read the room sort of situation. And I, I it's going to be hard to give you an answer because it's going to vary from situation to situation. Um, I think it has a lot to do with timelines like how much time do you have to offer support? Or are you guys like under the wire and need to get some shit done? It's, it sort of depends on the situation, right? Um, um, it's a fun little dance that I don't have a clear answer for because it varies from situation to situation. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to leave you hanging here. Um, okay, we've got a couple more here and a few more minutes. Um, yeah. What makes Columbia's work environment unique and how does it encourage collaboration among teams? What was that? Oh, team my God. So I will tell you, um, I hadn't even actually planned to work for Columbia. That wasn't in my plan. Um, I had worked for Nike. I had worked for this huge, massive company. I uh, then moved down to Southern California, worked for DC Shoes, which was a tiny company. Um, the difference at Nike was like, I did this thing. And when I got to DC Shoes, I did all the things because there was nobody else to do all the things. So it was sort of a blessing and a curse. And I knew that when I came back to Portland, I didn't want to be pigeonholed in a job again. I didn't want to work for a huge corporation where I was told to keep my eyes on my own paper. Like I'd seen things, I'd done things, I had stuff to contribute. I had actually come up to interview with another company and thought, well, if I'm coming up, I should probably talk to some people. I reached out to the director of development, found out they'd actually been looking to hire a senior developer for six months. I mean, it was all in the stars and everything. But in my interview, uh, it's funny. It was a product line manager who asked me in my interview. And he was a product line manager that I had trained when I was at Nike. <laughs> and he said, why do you want to work here? And I said, I, I don't actually know that I do. I said, I'm really hesitant to come work for a large company because I don't want to be pigeonholed. I, like I said, I have these experiences. I have things to contribute. And, and uh, I have more to offer than that. And he said, if you have something to say, we want to hear it. He said, we, we don't do that. Like when I was at Nike, we would, as a developer, I'd say, oh, your margin's coming in at a 42 and we're supposed to be at a 49. We should change these things. And the designers at that time were like, well, just send it out again and let's see what P2 looks like. I'm like, P2 is going to be at the same thing because he didn't change anything. There wasn't, there wasn't this trust and there wasn't this respect from design to merchant and design to development. It's completely the opposite of Columbia Sportswear. This man told me, he's like, we want to hear from everybody. I actually have my name on um, a patent application because I had, the designer I was working with was trying to come up with this cool thing on a pant, couldn't work it out. And I said, are you open to me sending out some ideas for mock-ups? I threw out some ideas, sketched some things up, sent it out to the factory. It came back. We found the thing that worked. He and I are on a patent together. That would have never happened in 2000 at Nike. Now, they've, things have changed. It was a long time ago. But um, Columbia is probably the most collaborative place I ever worked. 
people really do value each other. And I think it has a lot to do with the hiring. They hire really, really great people. And I know we all get frustrated in our roles with processes and leadership decisions sometimes, but but the people that we work with make or break it. And the environment at Columbia is just, it's, it's like everybody really wants to work together. It's super, super collaborative. It was great to work there. That's great. Um, how do you, maybe this dovetails with the imposter syndrome question, um, mm. but how do you feel like being in a product team with not having a design background? What are some practices that you did to develop some of those skills? Maybe you didn't um, when you were at Nike. Like, what, what are your thoughts there, just being on a product team without that design background? Um, I didn't develop them. It's not my job. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't have an eye for design, but like, I'm not the one to lead the mission on what the look is. That's, that is not my skill set. And I think I struggled for a long time um, feeling like I wasn't creative. Like I was very, I forget which brain we are, but the, the logical people, I'm not a creative person. I realized that creativity comes in many forms though. And I realized I actually am creative. It's just that my creativity is in the form of problem solving, not art. It gave me kind of a different perspective, but um I, I I don't I don't think it's required, unless you're applying to be a designer. It, it's you, that's not what you're being leaned on for. That's, that's my perspective. Um, and then maybe one more here. Um, as a manager or team lead, how would you properly communicate the concerns from your peers and employees to upper management who are not always involved? Uh, well. So back to relationships, that's where it really comes in handy to have resources outside of your group of trusted people that you can go to and talk to. Um, I was fortunate enough that I had built really good relationships with leadership and they they knew my personality. I was going to be frank. I wasn't going to be rude, but I was going to be pretty direct about situations. Um, uh, but what that means is that means you have to build those relationships before those situations help. Um, and if those situations aren't in place, you know, um, approach with caution and just let them know uh, you're raising concerns. It's on behalf of the team. Um, but I think on, I always think honesty is the best policy. Um, and I hope that the work environments that you all end up in uh, encourage that and welcome that as well. That's great. We are at just about a time. So we should probably wrap it there. This has been so helpful. Um, I can. I feel like just the number of questions show that it was helpful for the students as well. So appreciate awesome. you taking the time. If anyone has further questions, is there an appropriate way to reach out? Don't want to flood your inbox, but how can students <laughs> connect with you? Stay in touch. Yeah. Follow what you're working on. Um, I saw you put my LinkedIn there. You guys can connect me via LinkedIn if you want. Um, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Um, if you do want to find out more about what I'm up to, um, go ahead and check out my website if you want. I'm going to do a little plug for makeplusequal.com. Um, or you can also follow me um, on Instagram at makeplusequal. Uh, if you try to find me under my name on Instagram, that's my personal account. It's private. And I say obnoxious things that you all don't need to see. <laughs> so head over to at make plus equal. But yeah, if you want to talk to me, I one of my favorite things is mentoring and talking people about careers and um, please reach out. Maybe not all at once on the same day, but 
go ahead and hit me up on LinkedIn, send me a chat. And I'd, I'd love to connect. If you want to have a call sometime, I, I love doing that stuff too. I'm so excited for you guys. You have, there's so much opportunity for you. And I love that you guys have this opportunity through education to actually get these skills that I don't think existed when I did all of this. So um, you guys are you're on the road to success. I had to get one last pun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.